0: It's quiz time. It's quiz time, yeah. May be, uh, these will not be as hard as, uh, as the Mother's and Father's Day questions. Um, identify the statements of Jesus. Someone said, I am the number one human being in music. That means any person that's living or breathing is number two. Anybody go for Jesus here? Sounds like Kanye. West to me. You're correct. <laughs> you know what? And uh, during the, during the communion time, we have a book for you. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you, Cindy. I, did, I haven't paid her to do that yet. I'll skip over this one. He also says that he's Shakespeare in the flesh, so we'll, we'll skip on that. So um, follow me, and I will help you make a lot of money and a lot of friends. Anybody go for Jesus? No, actually, I made that one up. So, not that it's very original. That one, I didn't. I didn't have to go looking for that one. Um, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. We got Jesus. All right. I'm getting a little. Oh yeah, Spencer. He's he goes with the more traditional. Sorry, Spencer. I looked at the NRSV, the New Revised. He's right in the Revised Standard Version. It's men. So. I'm getting a little warmer. It's all right. You're going, hey, is he ever going to get to the gospel or the Bible? Um, Finally, if anyone, if anyone to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Who said that? Jesus. You sure it wasn't one of the uh, 16 Republican candidates who debated this Wednesday? Nobody else heard that? I heard that. No? Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Who knows where this message is going to go? My hearing's not so good. Um, well, I read that last one because that comes from the first of three passages in Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10 where Jesus predicts that he's going to die and that he's going to... Suffer. He's going to be rejected by men, and he's going to rise from the dead. And actually, these three passages they have uh, they have similar outlines. I've said the first. There are three main components where Jesus predicts his his death and resurrection. Then, the next step, you know, Jesus tells them this, and the disciples uh, don't understand, uh, cannot accept what Jesus says about his dying, or afraid of what they hear, and then. Jesus teaches them about discipleship. And in Mark chapter 9, that's what we have. And we see that that unlike in you know some men who've got crowds coming after them, Jesus wants to take a break away from these crowds. He's been trying to do this and has not been so successful, but Verse 30 tells us that uh, Jesus stays away from the awe and the ovations of the crowd so he can speak to his 12 disciples for a second time. This message of that he is going to be killed and rise from the dead three days later. Well, that's certainly not a prescription for being elected president of the United States, that you're going to die. One candidate says, I've made billions and billions of dollars dealing with people all over the world. I have built a great company. Who do you want negotiating a deal with China or Russia? The people of Israel expected their Messiah to be a political and military king who would overthrow the evil pagan Roman Empire and restore Israel to its proper position. Jesus' message of a suffering servant sounded like nonsense. The idea that victory would come through Jesus dying on a cross... For the sins of the world to save the world continues to this day to be difficult for many people to accept and to believe in. His 12 disciples didn't understand it. They may not have wanted to get it. They were afraid when they heard this message. It was probably painful for them to hear this. And they certainly don't want Jesus to die and to to leave them. They've given up everything to follow him. And... They may not want to hear what Jesus is going to ask them to do in response to what he's saying. And this was the second time that he, in a week, that he had delivered this message. So, as they're taking this 20 mile trek from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum in Galilee, they have a lot to talk about. So, do you think they talked about Jesus saying he was going to die? Got some head shaking, no. We don't see that they talked about it. But instead, they may have, we don't know, but the thing we're told in Mark's gospel is that they were discussing which one of them was the greatest. Who was going to lead, maybe it's who was going to lead the group after Jesus died. You know, of course, Peter, James, and John were gonna, you know, be the ones, I'm sure, to say, you know, we're the ones. We went up to the mount with Jesus when he was transfigured right before our very eyes. And he was there with Moses and Elijah. We're, we're his top guns, so we're going to be in charge. I'm sure the nine other disciples probably are getting in there. There's probably some jealousy there because they got to stay behind. But it's kind of ridiculous that they would be arguing this. Because they still have a leader called Jesus. They have somebody who's great. They've seen it. They they think that, yet they're arguing so multiple choice. Who is the greatest? Peter, James, John, or Jesus? I mean that's like asking, you know, who is a better musician? Stephen Rometti? Joshua Bell. Or Steve Kennedy. Not, not that hard. Not that hard. Hey, I could do something besides sports. All right. And, you know, what do you, what do you know? Miracles do happen. Well, I say this because Jesus didn't select these 12 knuckleheads because they were so great. I'm a knucklehead too, so don't think I'm just slighting these guys, although, Mark. Does kind of take many opportunities the gospel writer to kind of rip into these disciples, but that's not really the, that's not you know a message for today because they're just like me, they're just like you. They were ordinary people. There were no Gustavo Dudamel's, Eli Broads. for base, you baseball guys, Clayton Kershaws. They weren't there. These several of these people were fishermen. Not that, and they're ordinary people. There was even a despised tax collector named Matthew or Levi. And then we have Peter, the one who speaks as much as any of them. This is the guy that just a week earlier rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine that? When Jesus said that he was going to die. And then Peter, what does uh, Jesus call him? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. So this guy is one of them that's arguing that he is the greatest and... Then, you know, James and John, they're going to get in on the act in chapter 10 when they and or their mother ask for them to sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus, like, you know, they're Moses and Elijah. And then don't forget those other nine who didn't go up the mountain. While Jesus and the three were up on the mountain, these folks were down there trying to cast an evil spirit out of a boy, and they couldn't do it. And then what's really something is right after our passage, There are other people who aren't with Jesus who are actually casting demons out of people and then these guys say, Jesus, that can't be so. They're not with us. They can't be doing that. They had no claim to greatness other than being in the presence of the greatness that is and was Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest thing that we have going for us. We're not there with Jesus in the flesh. But we have His Holy Spirit. We have Jesus in our hearts. We have greatness that is available to us to help us in our human state to be all that God wants us to be but we've got to surrender we've got to do that our ambitions our pride our selfishness all kinds of human things can get in the way like we're seeing here with these disciples they are certainly not ready to follow Jesus the suffering servant to The cross. So in verse 33, they arrive at the house and they were obviously spending a good amount of time not talking to Jesus about this greatness stuff because I'm sure he really stunned them when he said, what were you discussing on the way? And they were silent. Jesus knew what they were talking about, so he, he says to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and servant of all. You think that's, those are probably the exact words these guys were using? No, not at all. And, but that's you know, the way we work in the flesh, and it's a way our society is, is set up. Jewish society didn't define being great by being a servant and being last of all. But that's the values of the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is speaking about. So Jesus is going to then illustrate this by taking a little child in his arms. And he says to the twelve disciples, whoever receives one child like this, in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me but him who sent me. So when you receive a little child you receive someone lowly you're receiving Jesus Christ you're receiving God the heavenly father who created us and this child then was even was even of a lower standing than today and we can look at certainly you know some of the things with abortion we look at you know public K through 12 education and poverty and hunger and and, and how we allocate resources and our attention on these things. And we can say, hey, children are they're just as powerless as they were back uh, 20 centuries ago when they were considered at the bottom of the social scale. And Jesus, in using, the, in, in using this illustration, is telling them and showing them that the disciples are to humble themselves as He has done by descending from God in heaven to earth to become human. Now I don't think they get and I, I don't think I can really fathom, you know, I don't I don't know that we can fully fathom either what it's like to be God, to be up there in heaven and then to come down with all of us. But that's what Jesus did. And then he's starting to tell them, well, that's only the that's only the beginning. You know, I'm going to as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-8, to 8, he is going to really suffer. And so he, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus denied himself. He took up his cross and followed God's will. And in doing this, he submitted to the greatest form of humiliation by being whipped, beaten, spat upon, and nailed to the cross for the sins of the world. And Jesus wanted his disciples then and now to humble themselves and become like a little child in accepting the lowest place in society as a servant of all. And that's the way of Jesus. And that's the life that Jesus calls us to. We're called to be servants of King Jesus and the God of the universe. Now, if you all get that, I can take a show of hands and are fully living that out, I can stop right now. I've kind of gone through the passage. I can just stop. So, but I think like I've done before, going to be one little problem. We're not going to stop, even if you all raise your hand, because there's at least going to be one person who's not going to raise their hand. So that's me. And so we got to keep going. So I want to ask, what does a life of surrender and service look like? How do we live out Jesus Christ's call to be servant of all? And I'm certainly not going to give you anywhere near an exhaustive answer. This will be it'll be a little bit what 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 I have, but this is kind of where the rubber hits the you know one of the rubber hits the road. So it's not an easy thing to do. And I don't stand up here as a person who say, says, hey, I got it, and, and I do this stuff. And if any of you look at me mistakenly, hey, you're dressed in white robes. That's about as clean as I'm going to look. But that's just on the, that's on the exterior. Um, oh, hey, you know, he, he's a priest. He works. he works for a Christian mission that serves the poor and the homeless. Well, I'm a knucklehead, and I don't, uh, I don't I don't I don't always live out this. I struggle. I have challenges, and, and I would say, you know, there's, there's, a, there's definitely a tug- of war, but I would say that, that there's more I don't know what this isn't you know, there's more stuff going on that's wanting to pull me out. This has been the busiest work year. That I've had at the mission, probably the probably the busiest work year I've ever I've ever had, and so that kind of wears you down and makes you susceptible. I sometimes you know may feel well, you know, am I being taken advantage of by my boss? And these are just my perceptions. I don't, uh, and I have one. I have one employee of Los Angeles Mission here, so you know, don't have to go telling uh, my boss about this stuff. So, otherwise, you're going to have a new boss. So, um, but. You know, that's that's our that's our state. You know, as as humans, and you know, and we get we have our petty. You know, I've got jealousies, or a, and I'm not going to share it, but let me tell you, I do it with one, you know, at least one particular person who I think kind of gets favored treatment um, by the boss. But you know, that's my perception. And uh, but then too. You know, we can observe it. We've got eyes. We've got minds. God has given that to us, but we can't be dwelling in that. We can't be living that because that is not surrendering to Jesus because it's the call of Jesus Christ. I don't, I have you, many of you, probably all of you adults have worked for somebody at, at some point, and even in, you know, in households there, we were kids. We all grew up. We had people who told us what to do. And uh, none of us were always perfectly obedient. So, um, and then two, none of us are perfect. So we look at things and say, hey, that's not the way it should be done. And it's funny, to, you know, as kids grow up and as they get to be whatever it is, at least, what, 13 years old and 14, and now they're their own and they're going <laughs> to, they're going to do things. My, my nephew, I don't know, he was somewhere 13 years old, and uh, he told his parents, he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to divorce you, you know, now. <laughs> you know, he was, uh, they're good parents, and he loves them, but you know, as I say, he wanted to do his, his thing his own way. That's, that's our human nature, and, and that's why we need to surrender it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And and actually, you know, we may say, well, you know, I want to be free to do whatever I want. Well, you go right ahead because I don't know about you, but there's times I've gotten myself into some real messes. And I don't know about you, but uh, like somebody said, oh, you know, I may do these things that make me happy. Well, happiness depends upon happenings and good happenings. And uh, I think there's some of you been around here, long, around this world long enough to know that uh, the happenings aren't always happy. So there's got to be something deeper. And there are some pretty bad things, you know, that that happen in our human lives as we grow up. It's, you know, deaths of of spouses, of parents, of children. There are and other things. People develop psychological issues, whether it can be us, it can be our family members. You know, where I live, I mean where I work, we've got a lot of that. We've got people who've got broken family relationships. They they've, uh, are addicted to drugs, alcohol. They have mental health issues. That's why they're living on the streets. There's, like the song says, times are troubled. Pe- times are troubled, people grieve. That's our human condition. But there's also a lot of good things that happen. But at the core and at the center is the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. And, and he overcomes that all. So those are kind of why it's, you know, as I say, some of the tensions and 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 I think, you know, want to try to motivate you to do as much as you can. And I take this message and am saying, well how can I surrender my life more, you know, to God's will. And I'm not probably going to get through all the things that I've written down. But, you know, there are words that I could say when you think, how do we live out Christ's call to be a servant of all? Well, the idea of uh, abandoning ourselves, dying to ourself and our human um, desires and focusing on God's desires. There's sacrifice, unconditional giving. But as I also mentioned about the word joy, there's also so many, there's other, the positives of that. And that's joy, peace, hope, faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And let me get to giving because, sorry Cindy, you're not going to be the only one who's going to get a book today. Um, at the, uh, w- We are going to give out today a book called Simply Share Bold, Grace-Based Giving by Ron Haas. Um, the bis- Bishop Keith gave this to priests and Father Jose wants all of us to have this short little book about giving as our stewardship campaign and uh, our month of October, we lead up to Covenant Sunday's coming up, that this would be a really good thing for us to, uh, to look at and to study. And the author says that no matter what we have, Christians are called to share. And Hebrews thirteen sixteen says, do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. This book deals with giving finances. And of course, there's a whole lot more to giving. It's giving your entire life, giving your time, your talent, your treasures. And Haas uses 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 as his text, where Paul teaches six key, key principles about sharing. And the first one, and I read these because the first one really talks about you know, f- full surrender when he says, give beyond your ability. And then, so there's like at least six cha- cha- chapters that are entitled this way. The first is give beyond your ability, excel in the grace of giving, become poor like Christ, Prove your love so generously, be generous on every occasion. I'm not going to say any more, but I just, as a combination to let you know about this book, and, and the plan is for us to read and study this over the next five or six weeks, I just thought I would it kind of fit in. Because that is definitely one way that we we kind of get, we, in some ways, because money has a we need it, but it also symbolizes a lot of things and allows us to acquire things that, got, um, that may lead us in directions that maybe are not good for our, our spiritual lives. I thought, too, a way for us to look at this whole being a servant of all would be a good way to do it, would also be to look at a few examples of people. And one, and, and I'm sorry, she is not a new one, and she died... 15 to 20 years ago, but Mother Teresa is certainly one of the best examples of a person who became a servant of God through Jesus Christ. She gave her life serving the needy, poor, sick, and the homeless. And I think she lived, what, into her 80s? Um, And and ironically, and I think kind of a a contrast with the world's values and the kingdom of God's values, nothing against Princess Diana who died, but they died right around, I think in the same month, and right around the same time, and the reason I mentioned that is, what was the media's attention on? Yeah. Princess Diana. Now, I understand, you know, it was a sudden, tragic death, um, and she was a princess, but it just kind of spoke to me at, at the time of the world's values and then the upside down kingdom of God values and, and the emphasis. Not to say that we shouldn't pay attention to that, but I don't think that Mother Teresa got quite the attention that Princess Diana, you know, got. Um, At 17, she joined an Irish Catholic nunnery in India. And as you know, she did her work in uh, Calcutta. And she was, you know, growing up and became an adult during World War II, and there was a lot of war and famine in India around her. And in 1948... She was called to serve the people who were dying on the streets of Calcutta. And so she left her teaching job at a, at a school to start a free school that was outside for slum children that were staffed by volunteers. And uh, several years later, she officially began the Missionaries of Charity, which still exists today and is, is uh, serving the poor across the world. And that's what she gave her life to. But one of the, the thing that really struck me and just in reading some things about her on the, uh, on the internet is when she won the Nobel Peace Prize in one thousand nine hundred and seventy nine she really uh, exhibited that servant 's heart. The Nobel Peace Prize is one of the most prestigious awards in the world, and they have an award ceremony that people from all parts of the world come to there 's all kinds of pomp and circumstance it 's probably Probably got to be as uh, as glamorous of a I would think of a you know a dinner and a, a gala as anyone could go to, but Mother Teresa said no banquet. I want that money, and it was six thousand dollars to be used for the poor in Calcutta, and that's what happened. And the money allowed her to feed hundreds of people for an entire year. And now coming closer to home, many of you. Remember and know uh, Father Lee Mullins. And, and Lee exemplifies being a servant. One, he's an American. I believe he was born in, and raised in Michigan. Um, he had met his wife in Thailand, and he's chosen to live in Thailand, which is his wife's home. And he's also chosen to live and minister as a priest to the poor in Bangkok. And he ministers, one of his ministries is to slaves in some of the poorest areas of Bangkok. And then several, uh, about eight or ten of us went to uh, an orphanage in Honduras three years ago, and Mike and Kim Miller, they came out of Jacksonville in their church, and they started this orphanage down there in Honduras. And for the last six years or more, they have been serving as kind of mother and father, along with others, to raise these children who would have, not have any of that if they had not followed their, the call of Jesus to be a servant. Now, I don't mention these people to put them up on a pedestal, but I, they are motivating and inspiring to us, and we can see what you know, a, a servant of Christ and of all you know, can look like. And most or all of us aren't called to do those things. But no matter our age or our circumstances or our mobility, we can live as Jesus lived. And we can be the last of all and the servant of all. And we can do that because we've all been given hearts to love. And we've all been given the ability to pray. And friends, love and prayer are at the root of all these things the other activities that we see. And it's also, it's, it just, it's, it, it's what comes out of us, and it's what God pours into us. And we can start by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Because all of us have a terrible hunger for love. And we all experience pain and loneliness at various times in our lives. And we need the love of others. We need the love of Christ, but we also need the love of others. And we need to give out love as well. And the poor may be right in your or my family. And it's not just material poor, it's spiritually poor, or, or people that are just going through, and we all go through some very difficult times. And that's when we need the love of others as much as possible. So our call is to find those people who need our love, to love them, to speak tenderly to them, to let there be kindness in our face, in our eyes, in our smile, in the warmth of our greeting. Always have a cheerful smile, because it does make a difference. I know it makes a difference for me when I receive it, and I think it also makes a difference. It just makes me feel better when I'm giving it out as well, and not that I always give it out. Um, but don't always give your care, give your heart as well. We can all do this, and we also all can pray. Many of you have seen the movie War Room, about the, and it's about the power of, that prayer can have on marriages, parenting, careers, friendships, and every area of our lives. And one of the things that I think prayer helps us in that surrender process, And prayer can shape our hearts and help us to surrender our will and agendas to God. And we are all, as Christians, called, both individually and as a church, to serve others with the love of Christ, both inside our church and outside the church, both inside our family and outside our family, inside our circle of friends and outside our circle of friends. And we should be constantly praying and asking God how... We are fulfilling that and what he wants us to do next. Christ set the standard for being a servant of all because it was his lowly submission, he being the greatest human being ever to walk the face of the earth. He was God in the flesh. But he submitted to the will of God and he sacrificed his life, his status, his power, so that the plan of will and will of God to save human beings from sin could take place. And he did that in the midst of a people and a world where we, like the twelve disciples, want to be considered greater than each other and master of others if we are left to our own human desires. But these desires oppose God's kingdom principles. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Because the way to greatness in God's economy is sacrificial service to others and love of God and faith in Jesus Christ. That was the way of Jesus. And Jesus calls us to that same way of humble sacrifice for God and to others. As Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Church, big, huge church in in Illinois, wrote in his book Descending into Greatness, like Christ, we must descend into self-abandonment. Unconditional giving, sacrifice, and death to self. And like Christ, we will then ascend into fulfillment, blessing, joy, and purpose. True fulfillment, blessing, joy, and purpose in this life is found in following Christ through a life of service to the God who created us and to other people. So, as we, when we pray... And as we reflect, we should be asking ourselves and asking God how we can live a sacrificial life, a life of service as a disciple of Jesus Christ each and every day and praying for God's help to allow us to do that. And when we do that, we will find the true fulfillment, blessing, and joy, and purpose that God wants us to have in this life and for the life to come. Amen. Amen. Please stand. And turning to page...